bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica. And uh, as you know, I call everybody a special guest because they are special to me. Please welcome Angela McDougall, who is the Executive Director of the Battered Women's Support Services, uh, who does great work in terms of intervening with uh, domestic and intimate partner violence. And so, welcome, Angela. Hey, hey, Erica. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to be with you today. Well, this is your, I think it's your second uh, appearance. It is. It is. Yeah. 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 Just a little picky thing. I have just a little picky thing. It's, um, did I get I, something wrong? <laughs> well, I, I, it's that I use my whole name, Angela Marie McDougall. And my mother gave me two names, and I thought, okay. I'm going to use them. So I've been using the full, a lot of, it's a lot of consonants and a lot of vowels. Okay. Angela okay. Marie MacDougall. I wasn't, I wasn't sure. So I get, I get, I get picky about the Mac and the, I know. And the double L. You the are, D too. oh my gosh, you are picky. I've never, for somebody who has such um an empire like name. <laughs> <laughs> Like you're so picky. <laughs> well, I guess so. No, you have a right to be. Everybody has a right to be picky about their name. It's the first piece of their identity. So go on. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And it is, uh, yeah, it's very uh, European, the name for sure. It's- you know what? I want you to um, introduce us to the Sami people. Let's start with well- that. No, I guess you, you're the one who opened my eyes and I was just like, oh my God, I feel like that's what you do. So I want to, I want everybody to hear about the Sami people because I don't think most people know. So my grandmother is is Sami, my, on my maternal side, my ancestors don't come from this land that we now call Canada. My, my paternal family comes here by Western Africa and my Maternal family comes here by central and northern Sweden. Uh, and so my my grandmother um, is Sami. Uh, she passed to the spirit world uh, a few years ago. Uh, but yeah, that was... Uh, Sami are the indigenous people of the northern part of uh, the Scandinavian peninsula. And, mm. and so that includes, you know, living within uh, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Russia. And my grandmother was born above the Arctic Circle. Oh, wow. uh, which is yeah, way up there. I have this real appreciation for desolate uh, sands of snow and and ice and long winters, you know, sunlight. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I, that I appreciate. But the you know the the um, the area the Sapti, I believe is the is how it's described. the The name of the area uh, is where she's from. And uh, as Indigenous people, there is, uh, as we see here on Turtle Island, as we see in other parts around the world, there has been a long history of displacement, of uh, colonization, and really fighting for rights, um, the same rights that Indigenous people are fighting for all around the world, including Turtle Island. And so um, that, you know, my grandmother, from what she told me when I was, you know, 15 years old, uh, was that she had been in in a version of residential school in uh, in Sweden, which you know, which was part of a similar thing about wanting to uh, that we've seen here in in Canada and take the Indian uh, out of the child. Yeah, a version of that, which is to the assimilation policy kind of practice, and uh, and she was you know more or less. Um, kind of sold into marriage with uh, her husband, which would be my grandfather, as and that was his second wife. Um, and then they immigrated to Canada during the Depression. So her, you know, she had a tough life. She was a she was you know a tough woman. She was, um, and I just have a lot of appreciation for her. There's lots of things about her as well as my mother that I've been thinking lots about in, in recent times. You know, I was raised culturally Swedish, but my grandmother really suppressed her Sami ancestry and her indigeneity on that front. It was quite suppressed in it. And, um, you know, I'm one of the only people that 
you know, that she told about it. She, uh, it was kind of a big disclosure. Uh, she, you know, she had been indoctrinated into the, you know, there's a lot of shame associated with her identity and that had been part of uh, the indoctrination that she experienced anti-Indigenous, anti-Sami uh, sentiments that uh, continue today. Uh, but Sami people uh, are fighting the same issues that uh, Indigenous people are all around the world in, in extractive industry operations and and for you know their livelihood, which uh, is you know their rain, reindeer people, which reindeer are uh, domesticated caribou, and so. They've, you know, we and we have a whole story of caribou here in this land and how mm-hmm. caribou is certainly, um, like the 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 herds are diminishing because of all of the things. I could tell that she had a real appreciation for reindeer. Or, you know, once I kind of reindeer stuff was in her hat, like was around her all the time. And now mm-hmm. when I look back, I I can see that uh, reindeer were really important to her. Yes, yes. I just wanted to introduce people to um, the fact that there are Indigenous people all over the world who experience similar displacement issues and um, and similar policies, I've noticed. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take the Aborigines in Australia, it's the same thing. In New Zealand, it's the same thing. You know, um, Mexico and, and all over the world. And I don't think that people realize that there are Indigenous people on Greenland, right, who who have experienced the same thing with the Danes. And we don't think of, um, we think of the Scandinavian countries as just very white, and it's not necessarily so. So I just want to introduce people to that, that they, that that's something that I learned from you. Speaking of displacement, uh, so let's talk about women uh, as victims of war, women and children. So, you know, I was looking this up and when I put in, when I Googled women in war, all I saw were like white women who were part of the war effort. And instead of um, indigenous women, uh, women who have a history and an ancestry of chattel slavery, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I want you to kind of open up the discussion and mm-hmm. just kind of tell us some an overall sort of view of what women in armed conflict and looks like. Uh, no, I, I get it. And I, I think that that, like the whole idea of women in, involved in kind of the anti, maybe establishment armed groups, you know, in the sense of the, um, how, you know, how women are involved in, in resistance, I guess, yeah. of um, resistance, uh, a kind of fighting. Uh, and, I, you know, when kind of think about that, I have to just really ground our, ground our thinking in this idea of the global south and the global north, and 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 the role of of colonization and being uh, a pervasive and encompassing um, uh, movement over you know a period of the let's say the you know the the I guess the fourteen hundreds until the beginning of the twentieth century. And where over 85% of the world's landmass was colonized by a European power. So bringing then all of the, um, and col- you know, colonizing with, for the intention of <clears throat> extraction, both in the sense of um, uh, natural, quote unquote, natural resources in terms of the land, but also the people and, and you know, and other species and to build wealth for uh, the European monarchs, and that you know these uh, discoverers, if you will, quote unquote, the the explorers, the discoverers, were you know traveled around and were discovering, and and then working from a particular um, kind of law that was we we'll call it a law, let's call it maybe a legal framework that had come from uh, the papal bulls, from like the Pope, which was the doctrine of discovery. And the doctrine of discovery 
which has been invoked a few times uh, in recent years, um, in recent times, like just in the last few years, um, was the justification for the dispossession of lands and resources of Indigenous people around the world. It was the justification for the enslavement of Africans as well. Became the justification of that particular, um, and so, you know, and I, I think from the so knowing that that's been part of the story uh, in a contemporary way for the last, I guess, six hundred years, five six hundred years, uh, and that what that's, and then and the economic system that was uh, then, you know, either created you know concurrently or that was then baked into that process of colonization. Uh, around capitalism and the land as being the the issue being the land and the land being the 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 the, the financialization of the land and the way to generate wealth so and then resulting in dispossession and you know and all those things so i think that within that there was there's also the part around the role of of sexualized violence and there's this um uh it, you know you can google this it, there's a proportion of what was Christopher Columbus's journal that, that at least some writing that's been attributed to his journal uh that talked about I think it was like the four the four the three voyages of Chris Christopher Columbus and it was his journal and in the attributed to him and in that right the writing there he describes a rape of a Carib woman and uh it's quite compelling you know and quite distressing but that kind of idea of, in addition to all of the, ex- the kind of expansion, the dispossession, the extraction, was this part around where the, the discoverers were encountering, uh, you know, women around the world, and and this um, and their views around women, very specifically, it, you know, in the sense of sexualization and 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 violence that was a part of that. So that. You know, within that, then of course we can think that there's been resistance to, um, you know, hegemonic, dominating entities that have uh, come, and that continues. Um, that continues. I'm certainly no expert in kind of understanding all of the various forms of women's resistance to, uh, to, you know, the resistance. I have the sense of women organized or women that worked with men or the various kinds of ways that, um, uh, you know, kind of like the, the um, very specific um, armed, you know, resistance to domination and imperial domination and colonial domination. I don't have uh, a handle on that in the sense of who, what, where, and why, like all of those stories. And knowing that a lot of those stories are, would be suppressed as what is the reality of, I think, of women's, and particularly the global South, in terms of women's, just her stories are <laughs> very suppressed. So uh, I don't have all of that. And, you know, and I think that there's, but I know that that's, I know that it exists. I know that it is a, a factor. And in general, uh, I would say that the, the issue of war and whether that is uh, fighting you know, imperialist powers fighting or resistance to imperialism, uh, you know, it tends to be a very masculine space. Not entirely, because again, women's stories get suppressed in that. But in general, it's a very, you know, masculine space. You know, I think it's interesting for us to think about the role of women in militarism, um, because, you know, militarism is, you know, the law of the land, um, and particularly around the, you know, with respect to the United States and their you know, sort of their economic system that's really baked into the congressional industrial complex. And also, it's funny because there's women in warfare as part of that dominant power, Mm -hmm. part of the hegemony, and then there's women resisting that hegemony. Like, these aren't the same women. I, Mm -hmm. I find it, I find it really frustrating when... Um, we talk about women's rights and women's rights in the global north is about joining men in that extraction and that dominance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that to me is just so wrong. It not mm-hmm. because women are feeble or anything like that, mm-hmm. because there is a patriarchal structure that mm-hmm. women should be resisting. 
And so you just become a tool of that structure in the, in that sort of war frame. You know, I'm thinking Hillary Clinton. Well, <laughs> she's she's the poster girl for all of that for sure. <laughs> and she, you know, she's happy to to be that poster girl. Like, yeah, she's, you know, she got no shame uh, in that. Uh, no, and I mean, she's been. Um, I, I think it was Max Blumenthal that the 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 co-founder of the Grace the Gray uh, Zone. Yeah, thank you. The gray zone. Um, he referred to her as the like the pants, the pantsuit feminist, the pussy hat feminist, you know, military arm. <laughs> you know, it's, it was sort of interesting to hear him do that, but he's not wrong in the sense of thinking about what feminism has meant, and you know, in in you know, in the global north, you know, in a in a in a in a space that is United States, that is you know, the imperialist hegemonic, um, you know patriarchal you know militarized dominating entity in the globe and shaping so many things and for good and bad and lots of lots of really unpleasant things so um you know and i think that all the feminists get you know have grown into that and have been um you know in the global in the global north certainly have grown into it and have been uh encouraged to uh, not only to not critique that, but encouraged to participate in it, in the sense of having access and power and and the um, you know the trappings of that stratification of you know in, t- in terms of who's on top, and that that critical thinking has not been encouraged. I mean, it's just not encouraged. the The media, you know, is really focused on um, decentering any critical analysis, especially now. My goodness, like it's just. We're in a whole nother time. Maybe maybe it's because I haven't uh, spent enough time doing media literacy on some of the stuff. Perhaps this has happened already in different ways in the sense of manufacturing consent for different kinds of military action and uh, destruction. Uh, but there's a real um, effort to uh, to co-opt women into, into this. And I think that we see that certainly with... Um, uh, I saw a picture recently where there was um, kind of looking at the the you know the the European women that were in Rhodesia, formerly Rhodesia, um, fighters fighting for you know against the indigenous Africans, and they're always this kind of <laughs> kind of pictures of you know hot hot women with the guns and mm-hmm. this real sexualization of of women and guns, and you know we see that certainly more recently with uh, um, Israel, you know. With Israel on the way that they've um, kind of positioned women, I notice they stopped doing that though. Uh, they stopped doing that at some point. I, it's not quite the same as what they were doing at the beginning of um, the recent activity in uh, Palestine. <clears throat> um, yeah, so there's so much to say about like having a gender an analysis of militarism. But we also have to have a race analysis and and also a global south global north analysis. And uh, yes, because I I'm, talked about the global south last week. So, mm-hmm. um, go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean that's it, isn't it? I mean, kind of that global south, global north kind of analysis, like the uh, as we're understanding. I mean, I really think right now that that those that kind of as we're looking at thinking about feminism, and we're thinking about resistance, and we're thinking about hegemony and hegemonic kind of and, and you know an empire and, and imperialism. The the global north and the global south are it's quite stark, like it's a quite stark uh, kind of um, um, compare and contrast that is uh, emerging, uh, and you know, and I think that the current kind of issues and the, the you know the bombardment that's happening uh, in Gaza and and uh, you know it's re- it's really sort of showing the global north and global south. Yeah, there's a uh, clear delineation. Yeah. And I'm wondering what that analysis looks like between the global north and the global south. And is that in sort of like the resistance versus the corporation into the military? I'm going to say the military industrial complex, because think about this. When we talk about women in the war effort, it's about women uh, jumping in. It's about labor, Right. Yeah, and, and yeah. women jumping in and, you know, helping sustain the the country by 
working jobs that men were working and blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay. But that's what we've been taught up here in the global north. And then mm-hmm. that's some form of feminism. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not feminism at all. Mm-hmm. Not when you're talking about it in the structure. And I don't think that we talk enough about feminism outside of a framework of this hegemony and hegemonic um, sort of campaigns in the past and, and, and even now. And so when we incorporated or when women were formally incorporated into the military industrial complex, that's not a win. (laughs) I don't, I don't, because Mm -hmm. even within that complex, you have sexual violence from your supposed partners Mm -hmm. in not, Mm -hmm. not domestic partners, but, but your colleagues, sorry. So yeah. within being accepted into that complex, you're still a woman. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really multi-layered about it. And mm-hmm. I if 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 I may, I think what you're saying about the global south is more the resistance part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of Sudan, for example, and how mm-hmm. that was a women led uprising and resistance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how incredible that was to me that's part of feminism is that resistance to imperialism and we don't talk about that enough the difference between those mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. uh yeah i don't know that we're uh, being very crit- critical of it at all right now i mean the um uh you know like the it, you know, one of the things that 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 got that got really messed in, in the you know the analysis of of various versions of feminism is the issues around power and and have an you know an analysis of power and a critique of power, and and then you know when I think that part of what feminist di- feminism did was not necessarily look at the a version of feminism anyway d- didn't look at things beyond an individual experience in the sense of individual um, you know to gather the individuals. And those individuals, you know, were then devoid of a context, you know, and kind of understanding what that means. And so the context is everything because the context is all that history. It's the, you know, it's the way that the, you know, the nation states are organized and, you know, and borders and and everything about power, you know, around colonization, around imperialism and around the economic system and around patriarchy. So, but, you know, I think that, you know, a version of feminist, feminism, certainly within the global north that gets to be maybe um, highlighted, you know, if we think about Hillary Clinton and the like, is this, you know, this particular kind of um, of inclusion of being included into the, uh, you know, into the 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 you know the militaristic, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of economic system is to is like that. The, to break that glass ceiling is the goal of everybody, and uh, so that's why I think you know the the global south and you know and, and indigenous uh, and African and black um, you know women and non-binary people here on Turtle Island uh, have been really you know black feminism, indigenous feminism. That's been a really important critique, uh, and including Latin America, uh, a really important critique of um of you know this version of of feminism that's been again about keeping the very specific uh power dynamics uh in place and at the heart of it is this you know i I think i said it earlier but i miss i misspoke when i said it earlier but it's this kind of congressional military industrial complex where we really see that the u.s economic system specifically is so based on uh war and never-ending war and so that is, um, you know, and I hit, you know, with the Hillary Clinton and you know, is the feminist face of that in so many ways. And it's, it's really kind of distressing to see how that's being played out right now. And in the, in the discussions about the, you know, the elections that are coming up in the U S and, and this, um, you know, the way that, uh, Hillary is, you know, happily, I guess, seemingly 
uh, being rolled out to, you know, bring in the women vote. <laughs> bring them in, you know. She couldn't even bring in the women vote when she ran. Like, come on. <laughs> well, she got abortion. I mean, you know, it's 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 an interesting moment, and in this, you know, I mean, interesting. Like, oh, isn't that interesting? But it's 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 actually quite distressing moment uh for us as a species as we're seeing the masks are off like you know the imperial the imperial emperor the emperor's clothes are gone and yeah you know, and they're standing there naked. they're really telling on themselves aren't they uh-huh and then you got someone like um uh no lady uh pandor the you know um she's the politician uh the minister of international relations and, and cooperation in south africa and had grew up and was indoctrinated into a, a radical kind of thinking through, you know, a, chi- a child being uh, raised within the African National Congress. And we've seen her come out, you know, and, and speaking very specifically when around the International Court of Justice in, you know, when South Africa brought their case against Israel. And, you know, and she's, um, you know, she's been right there. And, and that's an interesting yeah, no, um, not she's very. She is the minister of international relations and cooperation for, in South Africa, and has been a member of parliament um, within. Now they know that I think the national uh, national congress is a political party in um, in South Africa. In South Africa, yeah, no, she's been a member there, and so she's okay. currently. Okay, but she's you know she's she's been right there, like speaking uh, specifically about the you know the reason why South Africa has been in support of of. Um, of Palestine, and she's um, uh, so. I'm just thinking about her as an example to compare and contrast her with, with, Hillary, with Clinton, with Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah, you know, in terms of the the maybe the values or the thinking through of what the issues are in a global sense, and that's actually interesting. You know, that's that'd be something to to do in terms of that compare and contrast, and to think about uh, in an analysis of feminism. And I, and I don't know if um, you know if Minister um, Pender would is considered herself a feminist i'm not sure but the um yeah yeah but then maybe we could you know thinking about feminists is to maybe because tracy chapman has come into the news recently yeah and as a u.s citizen compare and contrast tracy chapman with hillary clinton and yeah. you know tra- you know tracy's um liberation songs and and positioning and also her decision to stay um you know, as within that context, yeah, and as an introvert, likes to not, you know, not to sort of buy into the whole apparatus around the yeah. entertainment, been very yeah. kind of, yeah, in the background. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned Tr- Tracy Chapman because in resistance, um, we forget about the LGBTQ community and how they have been instrumental in resistance and how you know. They have, when I think about sort of the the recent iteration of Black resistance or African-American, especially resistance um, or resistance within those colonial constructs, I think of how much LGBTQ people have also been a part or or sometimes the the backbone or sometimes the leaders of those resistance movements and really in, incorporate this this elevated, I would say, level of what that is, mm-hmm. and um, and how them leading the movements has introduced, like I say, this another layer or couple of other layers or more of an intersection of what. Um, women and gender, whatever gender identifying non-binary person is also experiencing in terms of that colonial construct. Because mm-hmm. as we know, the colonial construct is cisgendered and it's binary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things I think has been largely suppressed too, right? In that yeah. sense of what get what stories get told and which ones get um, suppressed or you know undermined or uh, are um, mistold, even uh, 
in the sense of you know maintaining that patriarchal dominance in that particular way and and you know and the amount of homophobia and transphobia that just exists on the daily and in particular um you know on the daily and in particular you know when we think about um how we how we shape and what we think of resistance you know yeah they've and... shaped it they've they've definitely like rounded out some corners that that we wouldn't have without them yeah you know yeah I find yeah. it fascinating, like in the sense that not as like, you know, not as like a um like appearing over the the fence looking at what they're doing, but um, you know, nothing like oh, what is it called? It's not like a um a heterosexual gaze. That's not what I'm mm -hmm. talking about. I'm more talking about when I say fascinating, it's just like how these things have evolved over time and how those suppressed stories are now kind of being told more and more and more. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I I just I I love that part of it in the sense that um, a lot of queer people and seeing their resistance and seeing their community and seeing how they how we all make community, uh, yeah. how we're, how they're all part of our community and part of our resistance. And to me, that's really incredible. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's, um, there's so many lessons there to, to, to learn from and to follow. And, and, I, you know, and I, you know, it's like thinking about like resistance, but then just recognizing that the, you know, and we see this certainly in right now and what we're observing globally in uh in in Israel and Gaza, Palestine. Mm -hmm. Uh that, you know, the nature of armed conflict has really dramatically changed in the I, I think, like just even in the last few years, that there's so many casualties among civilians that are clearly outnumbering those of quote unquote military personnel or even militants. Like and when we think about that, then, you know, women, children, um you know, are become particularly, you know, um, impacted mm -hmm. and and vulnerable, and and there just really isn't um, kind of a thinking about that at all right now, and and that that idea of two militaries coming together and duking it out is not what is happening right now. It's something quite different. It's straight up bombardments and straight up kind of and um you know, the kind of thing that, that we're seeing. And, and so what does resistance look like, you know, mm -hmm. in that sense? And, and, um, and I was really interested by the, uh, you know, and, and the, the international court of uh, justice and thinking about like looking at what the definition of genocide and one of the lines and in it, that doesn't get a lot, doesn't get repeated much. Um, but one of those lines and it was about the preventing of births. Uh, which is a very gendered form of, um, isn't that um, what Israel did to Ethiopian Jews? Well, that's the sterilization, you mean? Right? Yeah, like the a, sterilization, yeah. and of course, Indigenous women here, and so is that it's what been you're a talking classic about? thing? It's been a classic uh, tool of colonization, is the pre and genocide. I mean, if you can prevent births, of course, you're preventing the next generation of the people. And that's a very gendered thing. And so, you know, and just uh, just the horror of imagining pregnant women in Gaza right now that are just, you know, navigating pregnancy and navigating childbirth um, uh, in just this level of um, violence, um, militarized violence, is uh, jarring. Uh, uh, but I really, and I really appreciated that, like, that what it means in a in a to understand genocide that that is one of the strategies is to prevent birth. So of course that's a very gendered thing, and it very much is about civilian population in that in that case. So the whole thing about war and militarism and resistance is um, you know it doesn't get this doesn't really we're not really getting the information that we need to critically uh, you know kind of examine all of these pieces. We get um, sensational stories and mischaracterizations and it's um yeah it's doing a disservice in lots of different ways for us as a human species to kind of reckon with uh all of what's going on currently but just even the nature of our conflict uh generally 
Yeah, and it's isn't it too? There's this issue of consent um, within that, and the 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 stripping of power that happens when you know you are fucking with pregnancies you know um by the way it's true israel has admitted that it had been giving ethiopian jew jewish immigrants birth control injections often without their knowledge or consent Mm -hmm. so there yeah i mean and that goes to the whole you know anti-african sentiment that is um, really pervasive and um, just the hatred of uh, dark-skinned people is yeah. uh, is a thing that you know that we we've inherited that or we've been indoctrinated into that through the role of colonization and you know like what and what gets you know determined as beauty and worthy of even living and who is considered human and civilized and who is considered savage is in these you know along these lines around a bunch of different things but also about the amount of melanin you have in your skin and yeah. um it's uh, melanin is just the sun protection. It's yeah, the skin, yeah, sun protection ultimately. But it means so much in the way that we've shaped everything. Yeah, uh, I, when I say we, I don't, you know, I don't mean we. Yeah, I mean how it's been shaped. You have it to stop we. saying we <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, you know yeah. what I, you know what I want to ask you. Mm. Do you th- as you were talking about um, the South African woman? What's her name? Uh, Pandor. Um, yeah, no, uh, Nolita. Nolita, Nolita Pandor. Pandor. Yeah. So my question is, for somebody like Nolita Pandor, who mm-hmm. is part of the codification of that resistance, is mm-hmm. that what we're seeing now from the global south? And do mm-hmm. you think that that is actually possible within these administrative structures? Mm-hmm. Right, because that's the thing about what happens when you're in a bureaucracy and when you get into a government and all of that. And you know, yeah, those are colonial constructs too. I know. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, they, we of course we have this we have this discussion all the time about, you know, how to move change or deal with change and how do we make change for the better and um, you know, and, and these economic systems are really the economic system is really, you know, it's four or five, six hundred years ahead of this conversation and has, um, you know, of us, it's had that much that much time ahead of this, you and me talking today. And that, you know, and it's given some benefits, I mean, considerable benefits for the global south and, sorry, the global north. And um, so, and those, and all the structures that have been, at least in, you know, in the, in the quote unquote west, uh, have been organized, uh, you know, in a very particular way, and and part of what the colonial apparatus do is to uh, prevent any other forms of you know humans engaging with each other. Which is why, for instance, here in the West, um, you know, of, of what is now called Canada, uh, Indigenous you know Indigenous people were not um, allowed to you know kind of do traditional uh, community events that were about governance such as the potlatch like it was just like you know you can't do that you must do this and that you know and and then it was to force people to into a particular version of um you know of organizing uh and so that's happened all around the world and and it continues to happen in different ways and so with um you know nalita pandor i mean i i you know, there's there's been so much criticism that has come from South Africa right recently, and uh, and I am just so grateful for South Africans who are trying to figure out like what you do after you've been colonized and apartheid and genocided, you know, various genocidal you know campaigns against you and the exploitation of labor and bodies and uh, and how you then govern, you know, as you're unpacking all of that within a global hegemonic structure that uh is look you know looking at your side eye like what's gonna happen over here uh you know once you know once these uh just africans have taken taken over so take it back um reclaimed you know the land and the structure so it's 
I, I give a lot of credit to South Africa in the sense of just the courageous uh, way that South Africa t- continues to forge ahead as a nation within a particular historical context and within a particular economic and global system and to um, kind of figure some things out, which is also why I think they're a part of BRICS, which is that organizing entity that um, that kind of multilateral nation state um, mm-hmm. organizing that is that they've helped form as well as with, with Russia and, and others. So it's in the sense of having uh, the a different another way of of uh, existing and quite frankly in, in resistance to um, you know, the hegemonic domination of the United States globally. Yeah, there is there is um, you could see now there's a pushback uh, from the global South being like, um, yeah, we're here too, and you could see the dissipation of power and influence of the global North. And I don't think they realize it yet. I don't know if they do, but um, there has always been uh, uh, a sort of community of, of global North countries who have, I don't even want to say resisted, who has, who have used their power to make sure that doesn't happen. But it's funny because our, systems are so intertwined right now mm-hmm. that it's I don't think it's possible to it it's to me it's watered down Western imperialism on mm-hmm. a global political scale. And I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it and I'm like, look at these people go. But it's also because the colonial structure has been not imported but has been um put on their own citizens of the global north through Mm -hmm. labor practices for example Mm -hmm. so there are resistance there's a resistance within those countries who are like this capitalist state is fucking me over Mm -hmm. and um i think the crumble like you could see the crumbling of our societies that are now where, yes, the power is still in the ruling class, but Mm -hmm. there is a resistance building. And Mm -hmm. that's what I love to see about Palestine and and Gaza and so on, is that we're learning what solidarity looks like, I think. Mm -hmm. And we're, Mm -hmm. and the solidarity makes me just, makes my heart warm (laughs) Mm -hmm. out of all of this. And it's a solidarity, Mm -hmm. not just amongst um, different, um, different uh, groups of resistance, but Mm -hmm. with men, women, and, and our queer brothers and sisters and, and, and everything in between. So Mm -hmm. I, I find like, I feel like there's something different this time. Mm-hmm. And what is, it is really beautiful to see that shit crumble. Like, <laughs> really, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, it's it is really interesting to see. I mean, I think in, ge- like in general, the people in the West are not seeing it because it's you have to. It's not told, right? It's not being told. You have to, you have to be observing alternative, uh, you know, additional media and the legacy media is just not there uh and it's suppressing frankly all of that not all that information and and i think you know and i think the listeners probably you know if they haven't figured out now it's a drinking game to see how many times uh we say hegemonic uh, yeah it's the you know because it's it's you know so it, it's so telling like how the media is just like lined up um, but even now that's starting to change. Like I'm seeing little, they're late. I mean, they're, you know, three, four months late in telling some of the stories that have been already told by, by folks, but yeah, there's something, something's happening. There's some change happening, but you know, but it's, it's tough because, uh, and the, you know, and the resistance is very inspiring and, um, in, in all of the ways. And it's, it's, it's important because I think on one hand people are, you know, feel a level of despair and, and then mm-hmm. it's just so big, you can't do anything about it. But these, 
you know, it's just really inspiring to see how there is resistance. There is actually people dreaming of something different that it yeah. doesn't involve, you know, these major power, you know, kind of um, nation states that just come and stomp on you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, or even like I think about the United States military, like the three um, uh, Africans in the United States, I guess, you know, black black Americans who were in the military who were recently killed in, um, mm-hmm. they say Jordan. Jordan. Well, but every, every you know, I, I spend a lot of time right now listening to old white military, U.S. military guys that are retired and hear their analysis of the current situation. And most of them are saying that it, they were in Syria because that's part mm-hmm. of the thing is that United States has kind of got these um, little, you know, spaces all throughout the Middle East where there are um, a, a portion of their military force, largely reservists, that are, you know, staying in all these places. Uh, in this case, they were supposed to be, or at least that... Um, uh, that area that has been described as where they were supposed to be is in Jordan, and Jordan, you know, apparently welcomed that base there, that kind of quasi base there. Uh, but I understand that they were in Syria, and that part of what they're doing is, um, you know, messing with Syria. And so they would, if they were in Syria, which is what the military guys are saying that they were, that that is um, unlawful. Uh, that they're it's an occupying force in Syria, but nevertheless, they were they were killed. And uh, but what I understand is that the United States has all these little little bases all over the place yeah. with reservists. Yeah. Uh, and that they're basically tripwires. It's a tripwire to then give a justification to escalate. Mm-hmm. To, es- yeah. to escalate. Yeah. Like they they exist there to be um, a play. You know, they're sitting ducks mm-hmm. for, um, you know, the various entities within, you know, within the region to. That have a have a beef, a legit beef with the United States, and you know, and its um, allies, uh, and that they end up being you know tripwires for this kind of escalation, which is what we saw next, right? As soon as yeah. those folks were killed, then the next yeah. thing you see, they're bombing Iraq, yeah, and um, and you know, and bombing Iraq and bombing people, civilians again. Uh, you know, they don't talk about who was killed, really, because yeah. they're just faceless, nameless nobody's according to the you know the way that the hegemonic system works but yeah you know, but they're you know they're people that are you know living out in the land they're yeah um herders or you know various kind of indigenous tribes people that are living out in the land and just getting you know getting bombarded because the united states is just going to drop a bomb on your head yeah so and and of course in that is about you know where women and children factor into that because you know like um you know so much of what women's experience is is the private realm not necessarily the public realm in the sense the private realm the house and the home and mm-hmm. raising children and kind of keeping 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 and keeping the home fires happening you know mm-hmm. it's managing food and yeah you know and in laws and families and convening the ceremonies and the gatherings and mm-hmm. you know kind of holding that responsibility which is a really important part of the glue that keeps the human experience together it's not to say mm-hmm. you know, all genders don't participate in that but it's a very specific gendered construct that yeah. has largely been in the realm of women internet like all over the world and so there's so much vulnerability in that in the sense mm-hmm. of you know not being party to um not explicitly being party to the uh, the battles that are are being waged for land and resources. So uh, let's turn to something with more levity. <laughs> Speaking, we're going to do a misogynist of the week this week, and oh. and we're going to choose Prince William. Oh, <laughs> and. And I just like where what what what's happening? I you know that family is crumbling, and it's just such a pleasure to see. Which which family is this? The royal family is crumbling yeah, in England and in, in Britain. The, the, that family, yeah, that Charles family, Camilla, yeah, that family, and with William. Yeah, uh, and Kate uh, and Kate. Well, where's Kate? Where's Kate? Do we, do we know where Kate is? Okay, is Katie. I, what I don't Kate. I don't know what happened to Katie, okay? Because okay, this is this is what I found 
so weird is that, okay, so they both, so Prince Charles and Kate Middleton, I don't know why I still call her Kate Middleton. Um, you don't acknowledge that they, that they got married up. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Neither should she. Okay. Oh, she's still, she's still alive? Yeah. Where is she? We were having this conversation last night and we're like, where's Kate? And, and somebody, I have a theory. I know. I know. I know. Okay, I'm gonna start out with the mm-hmm. with the with the, the lesser of the theory and to, <laughs> and to say that the Spanish um papers are reporting mm-hmm. that she's in a coma. And so I don't know how reliable the Spanish papers are, but kind of the the thing is, I think that they announced Prince Charles cancer because they're covering up what's happening with Kate. I don't know what's happening with Kate. There's all these there's all these rumors going around like, you know, William served her with divorce papers and mm-hmm. he attempted to unlive herself and and all of this stuff. Like all I know is that their relationship looks very toxic. Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. alienation of affection, um disgust and the thing the pointing finger in the face is a little bit Mm -hmm. much for me Mm -hmm. you know and so i don't know what speaking of feminism exactly Mm. um that was supposedly uh a a feather in feminism's cap because of class differences but again within (laughs) the structure of of Mm. ultimate patriarchy right Mm. In, in terms of the children don't even they're not even her children legally. They're mm. children of the crown. That's fucked up. <laughs> you give birth and they're not even your children? Mm. Like, talk about stripping away the power of women. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I know. Yeah, you know- well, I mean, but that's that's where we that's how we <laughs> that's that's where we get all the patriarchal dominance. I mean, in the sense of a country like Canada, it comes directly from, you know, this region that it already stratified. Mm-hmm. along gender and class and you know in all these ways so um yeah i mean the yeah but you know kate you know there you know near as i could tell she really wanted that job like she set out to you know within the con- within the confines of the gendered expectations uh you know in in her orbit uh she rolled up her sleeves and got to work and yeah said, i am going to catch I'm gonna catch. I'm gonna catch Will. I'm gonna marry Will. And, I mean, near as I can tell, that's uh, you know, in my in my late night uh, insomnia, searching the internet, um, investigations of of that family uh, and her. That's what I gathered that she really wanted that job. Yeah. So, uh, and that job is you know that that whole thing about. I mean, how are we gonna? How deep are we gonna go in the sense of just unpacking the whole thing? But I think, yeah, it, it does. Is she? Where is she? Like, where? What happened to her? You know, like right now, there's all these rumors, but people, I, I, you know, what I what I saw is that she, it was disclosed that she had a abdominal health concern that was required surgery, and so she went into this boutique hospital in order to have that uh, done. And then, um, you know, the media parks outside. They set up their um, you know they're on twenty four seven now. You know they're mm-hmm. the 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 princess watch. Uh, you know getting wanting to catch get some pictures of her and pictures of Will and maybe the kids and you know her family and his family and all that stuff. And and then what we see is he shows up for a half hour visit. There's you know nothing else going on. Uh, Charles rolls up because now he's got um, cancer, I guess, and so he rolls up to the same boutique hospital and. It's all very interesting and peculiar. And then he leaves. And then the thing that kind of blew my mind is that the media had been parked outside for I don't know how long. And she apparently um, leaves the hospital, but they don't see her leave. Yes, that's that's what I found very curious. Because after a surgery, just to make just so that everybody knows that the crown is intact. Okay, you would see her leaving the hospital and with a big smile or maybe not a smile, but, you know, 
um, there would be smiling involved. Like she would have to like do her duty no matter how she felt. And so they didn't even do that. And I'm wondering, like, did and then Prince William showed up. I don't care what every anybody says. The man was drunk. Then he shows up. We went back to work. Quote yeah. unquote, <laughs> yesterday, and he didn't even show up sober. <laughs> he looked really bad. Like he's lost thirty pounds. His suit didn't fit. Mm. Uh, dark circles under his eyes. He was swaying. He dropped. You know, he was dropping the. You know the the medals. The, yeah, the medals that he was going to be pinning on people. Um. It looked really bad. He looked horrible and mm-hmm. just run out. And um, uh, why? Why? <laughs> why? But, you know, they haven't photographed Kate. So there's been no word of her since uh, like the 25th of December. Christmas. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. There's been nothing. Uh-huh. No photograph of her. Nothing about her arriving or leaving the hospital. Not a thing. And... um where you know where is she it's just bizarre and 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 then they say that she's off now she was she was off until i guess um easter Easter, april and then i heard that it might be longer than that because there's this you know everyone's kind of wondering what kind of abdominal surgery what is it yeah um but here's the thing you know something's going on like Mm -hmm. just like it just none of it seems correct what if she's really unwell like what if she's really unwell and that you know that she's um of not of this uh plane uh plane any longer i you know then then william did it in a fit of rage i wonder i just that's my theory i'm wondering what's going on there in the sense of because all i can think about is that picture of him pointing at her yeah you know and and he and her looking apprehensive and i just don't I just don't see there's you know all kinds of body language things that people have done with them and and you know and one image isn't going to necessarily define a relationship for sure, uh, but she was really apprehensive in that picture and uh, you know and there's you know he's uh, it's just interesting what what if what if we don't see her again? Well, they're going to have to come up with something once once like six months pass and we haven't seen her because the speculation is just a bit too much. Of course, they're going to blame it on Megan like she did some voodoo. Anyway, which in itself is anti-Black if you think. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. They're, but. they're always on to Megan. Well, I saw I saw the the brother, what's his name? Um, the ginger. Harry. He showed up. Yeah. Harry, he showed up and was looking fresh. And yeah. He's been, you know, bouncing around Montecito with, <laughs> uh, you know, the, and uh, he showed up fr- fresh to go visit his dad. And then he left. In yeah, twenty five hours. Bizarre. It's just bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, everybody speculate. All the media are speculating about Charles, and mm. none of the media in a, um are talking about Kate and where she nope. is. And that is suspicious to me. I don't know, William. William seems seems like. And I'm just speculating. This is all just speculation. He just seems emotionally abusive to me. There, there are rumors that he's having this affair, which I don't doubt, because William is his father's child. There's, there's actually a picture of the four of them, um, mm-hmm. William, Kate, uh, Harry, and Meghan. And I think it's Prince uh, Philip's funeral, I think. Mm-hmm. And... There's all four of them, and there's a picture. And William, I mean, yeah, William and Kate were like miles apart from each other mm-hmm. walking. And then you saw Harry and Meghan close together, holding together. Hands. Yeah. yeah. Their public yeah. Uh, displays of affection. Uh, they're big on that. Yeah. 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 No, I know there's so many images that just the body language stuff has been really something to analyze. But here, you know, but the thing is, I mean, you know, this. There's a bit of a, you know, the Henry VIII, he had a whole thing of emblem <laughs> yeah. and, and Catherine, what's her name? I forgot her name. Catherine, um, Ar- that, um, Catherine of Argon or something. Is right. That exactly. Child? That, yeah. Exa- yeah. Um, so, but, you know, but I've gone down that um, rabbit hole yeah, about the potential of, um, you know, of Kate Middleton not being um, on this plane anymore, being unalived. Mm-hmm. 
rabbit hole. Um, and I'm not coming out of it until I see proof of life. <laughs> but isn't it funny that that her her sort of elevation to power is no power at all? Like she she yes. thought or all honestly, I feel it's her mother. Her mother, I feel like she set this up. Anyway, you know, you know how everybody feels about Carol Middleton, but you know, it's just interesting to me that their idea of power was marrying into this family where you have no power as a woman. So grim. Yeah. And that's just really bizarre. Yeah. And she's been groomed to suppress her her thoughts, her opinions, her her expressions of self. And I just find that really fascinating as we're talking. Yeah, about I know. I know. I know. And just see watching her just get thinner and thinner and thinner. Yeah. I've noticed the same with Donald Trump's daughter. She's just getting thinner and thinner and thinner. It's just uh, interesting, the, the, the role of the Wait. body and the weight. So, Angela, thank you. I know you have to go. So thank you for coming on and just like intellectualizing a lot of these things because there's so many parts to this and thank you thank you erica for the opportunity and and i i yeah i hope so i'm always glad when you come on and educate us well i appreciate the opportunity oh seriously thank you thank you erica you're for being a voice for change thank you well you'll be back you're a friend of the pod you'll be back I love it. I love I'm it. sure I'll talk to you later. Bad and